today on Ag News Daily. It's a waiting game. It takes a year and a half to grow a good crop of sod. Uh, depending on, I mean, irrigation, it's all irrigated. Um, it's got to have a lot of fertilizer and you're mowing. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Thursday. We are almost to the weekend. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how is your Thursday going? It's busy, Ashton, but you're right. It's almost the weekend, so I can power through one more day here. I'm very excited for my weekend as well. It's going to be one of my first shows this fall that I've been to, my younger sister. This is her first year showing at Majors. And so I'm going to go back home to Dallas and she's showing at the North Texas State Fair. So I'm very excited to to get out there and see her show some pigs. That will be fun. Make sure and snap some pictures for us. I certainly will, Delaney. But other than that, what news headlines are you following today? Well, I tell you what, I've seen a couple headlines today about some new African swine fever cases. There have been six more cases reported in Germany in the eastern portion, eastern region of Germany as of Thursday. And they said this new discovery of six cases brings the total confirmed cases to 86 as of September 10th. The other country that has seen some recent outbreaks, or not an outbreak yet, recent traces, I should say, of African swine fever is Russia. They said on Thursday as well that they have found traces of African swine fever in pork products in several regions of the country and have urged officials to set up controls to make sure that producers don't use ill or infected pigs in their production line. Because I think this is really the first instance that Russia has found this. And it's just genetic traces of the virus in um, pig products. But they are also highly contagious to be passed between uh, from pig to pig. And so they said that they are watching it closely and there could be additional risks if they don't mitigate this and put some sort of policy or procedure in place to watch this. Wow, Delaney, I did not know that African swine fever could really live on in you know post-production, I guess, with, with just pork products. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am keeping an eye on some more COVID-19 news. Public health experts are warning that a resurgence of COVID-19 in food production plants could be coming. And we talked about this, I believe, a little bit yesterday, Delaney, but I haven't heard of plants shutting down or being big hotspots like like we were hearing about just a few months ago. However, meat packers are insisting that the worst of the pandemic is behind them. Food processors and manufacturers have changed the way that they operate, clean, and report COVID-19 cases. So hopefully we won't see numbers in that sector spike back up. But the CDC conducted a report and they released that data, I believe earlier today, about COVID-19 among workers in the U.S. food processing, food manufacturing, and other agriculture workplaces. I discussed that report a little bit more in the Global Ag Network newsletter. So if you're interested, listeners, I would keep an eye out for that coming out tomorrow morning. But I'm hopeful that those who work in that industry have learned how to mitigate the spread of COVID-19, how to properly conduct mass testing of workers and what they can do to not have a resurgence. And they do discuss that a little bit more in that CDC report. So hopefully if workers 
or those who are in charge of COVID-19 at a, a plant or anything like that, they can really take all of that information into account. And hopefully, you know, we won't see that resurgence come back. Yeah, that would be the hope there, right, Ashton? Absolutely, Delaney. Well, I was trying to think of a good segue there and I don't have one, but um, I guess I do. Resurgence in grain. We're, of course, uh, in the middle of harvest right now. And we are seeing in Pacific Northwest region that they are experiencing a huge influx of grain. And they're saying because of this huge influx in grain, they've had a pretty good harvest this year, probably one of the best in five years. And they're planning not only the best harvest, but one of the fastest harvests with good weather. They said that this has been one of the fastest harvests they've had in five years or compared to their five-year average. And have said that rail carriers may be three to four weeks behind getting cars spotted to bring wheat into their flour mill and other grains. And so they are going to see some delay in shipments and said that according to the American Association of Railroads data, some 25,547 grain cars Carloads have been moved during the week of October 17th compared to just 4,000 the year prior. So we're seeing a lot of grain shipments getting moved around because the Pacific Northwest is chugging right along this year for harvest. Well, Delaney, that is certainly exciting news to hear, especially in the times that we are in. And some other exciting things is testing with E15 ethanol in the California market. The National Corn Growers Association, state corn organizations, and ethanol partners are working with the California Air Resources Board to conduct vehicle testing at the University of California at Riverside. NCGA says E15 in the California market is critical to growing ethanol demand. Ethanol Action Team member J.R. Rosner, a farmer from Indiana, says if they can achieve E15 as the base fuel in California, the potential market opportunity would be about 750 million gallons of ethanol or 260 million bushels of corn. The organization says testing will demonstrate the environmental benefits and compatibility of the fuel in selected makes and models of vehicles. Tests will be conducted on 20 late model vehicles to measure tailpipe and evaporative emissions, testing a broad sample of makes and models with both E10 and E15 blends will provide the California Air Resources Board with the necessary information to permit the sale of E15 in California. Well, Ash, and I have just one other piece of news here. Moving away from E15, although it does seem, I read just a quick headline earlier that it seems like E15 and ethanol have been a pressing issue for the EPA. We've seen a couple of different um, circuit courts and more localized courts pressing folks at the EPA to figure out what they're going to do for those general waivers and their authority in 2021. And we don't have any real real answers at the time, but uh, that's another thing going on there in the ethanol industry. But I had just one other piece of news here for our almond eating listeners or producers, if we have anybody that uh, produces almonds that listens to the podcast. Australia has planted more almond trees this year and will have another record-breaking harvest, according to the FAS. 
And their new forecast for the 2020-2021 marketing year is an increase of 8% over last year. We've seen almond production in Australia rise by 195% over the past 10 years. And a lot of this growth has been spurred by demand from China, of all places. They currently have a free trade negotiation or free trade agreement, excuse me, between China and Australia. And that has lent itself to a lot of almonds getting exported to the country of China. Uh, I know a lot of almond producers have had their qualms about this in the past because it does limit U.S. markets for almonds. And it appears that that market might be squished a little bit more with increased almond production this year in Australia. Well, Delaney, I'm all out of news for the day. What do you say we hop into the markets? Let's do that, Ashton. And looking at the markets today, we did finish uh, stronger on the day and traded higher for most of the session, just didn't have huge gains on the day compared to where we had traded earlier in the day, starting off here in the December corn contract up two and a half cents to close at 516 and a quarter in the March up a penny and a half to close at 418 and a quarter in the soybean pits, November up what? A penny and three quarters to close at 1073 and three quarters of January up three quarters of a cent to close at 1072 and a quarter. Wheat pulled back today as the December contract sheds seven cents to close at 622 and three quarters. The March down seven and a half to close at 623 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today. Weakness throughout the protein complex. October, excuse me, December live cattle shedding a dollar ten to close at one oh three forty seven and a half. February down a dollar thirty to close at one oh six seventy seven. In the feeder cattle pits, November shedding seventy two and a half cents to close at one thirty forty two. January down eighty seven and a half close at one twenty six twenty. In the lean hog markets, the December contract limit down. Ending the day at 66.20 February, shedding just $1.60 to close at 66.85. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures, November adding 48 cents today to close at 21.39. December adding 73 to close at 19.44. Ashton, without further ado, what are we talking about for today's podcast? Today we're talking to Matt Braun about sod. Well, I'm very excited today talking on the podcast about sod farming and, of course, corn and soybean farming as well today with Matt Braun, who is at Fast Grass Guy on Twitter. And Matt, I'm very excited to talk sod today. I know you don't sod farm yourself. I'm not sure if that's the correct term or not. Yeah, but, turf uh, farm sod farm. Okay. But you grew up on a farm that uh, grew sod and grew turf. Can you, I, I mean, this is kind of a whole new world to me other than I live across from a golf course, so I see the turf and stuff that they use there. It's, um, well, my grandpa started a turf farm in 1952 up in St. Paul, Minnesota, back when everything was country up there. And my grandpa started it. And my dad took it over back in, I think, the late 70s, early 80s. And then my, no, my, uh, and then, uh, the, my brother and sister are running the farm now with my dad still fully involved. My dad can never give up the sod because he loves it so much. So, but it's, it's, uh, it's had its waves of with sod. It goes with the building economy. So when that's slow, the agriculture was good. And so it goes back and forth. So that's why they do corn and soybeans. And then they do the turf too. 
So Matt, can you just walk us through what the the process looks like from, I guess, you know, planting up until, you know, I guess harvest. I don't know if I'm using the right terminology when it comes to sod, sod farming, but can you just, you know, walk us through through that process? Well, it, it pretty much starts out with the sod end of it. Um, you have to have, you can't have rolling soils. You got to have a kind of a level playing field, like peat, peat soil is the best for sod or like a sandy, silty soil because you could put it on irrigation. That are your best soils. So you go and if, say you've got a cornfield, you'll pretty much just work the cornfield under and then you uh, do all your field work prep and then you just take some brilliant seeders and seed it in and then with a lot of fertilizer. You know, you got to fertilize and do the stuff before you seed and then you pretty much just, it's a waiting game. It takes a year and a half to grow a good crop of sod. Uh, depending on, I mean, irrigation, it's all irrigated. Um, it's got to have a lot of fertilizer and you're mowing and uh, like vacuuming as much as you can. You're just, it's a, it's a, it's a busy, it's a busy type of, uh, uh, busy type of crop to grow because you're always doing something with it. Wow. A year and a half is a long time to put time and money and investments in that crop. Oh, yes. oh <laughs> um, yes. So with a, with that sod or turf, um, are you planting that on top of, a corn and soybean field? Like, are you just working nope. that into rotation? You, you, you know, you just kind of, you, I mean, you, you can, it goes like the soybean fields are the best because they got plenty of nitrogen. So after the soybeans are off, you'll go and just work the field under and seed it in. And then you go and take and uh, uh, then you'll go in and that's, that's what any, any crop, if it's after corn and soybeans, it's the best for side, just because it always has that nutrients in it and you can get started and get the crop rolling. So, so, Matt, I want to ask one other question here because I'm trying sure. to visualize what it looks like when you actually get to the point where you're ready to harvest, pick, whatever the term is you use for it's sod. Harvest it, yep, yep. Okay, okay. So, I mean, I'm no, thinking no, yeah. of, of sod when I see, you know, people maybe in cities or on golf courses, they have like those big rolls of sod yep. that they just unroll. How do you go about cutting something like that? Well, they have, uh, if you go harvesting it, they have. Three, uh, a couple different types of harvesters. They have a tree bro. It's an automatic stack harvester, which rolls it, it'll cut it, roll it up the conveyor, then it automatically stacks it on a pallet. And then they got the big, big rolls, which are 30 and 42 inch wide. And those are for golf courses, uh, any big areas, but a lot of the landscapers, homeowners, they like the small roads, which are two foot by six foot long or five and a half, six foot, give or take. Um, those are for the small, you know, palletized ones. So you have palletized and then a big roll sod. And the prime time to harvest the sod is when there's a good root base. You need a good root base to hold the whole, uh, hold the whole uh, roll together when you, it gets harvested from the harvested from the soil. Hmm. So Matt, interesting. Before. Uh, before before the podcast or before we started recording, you you mentioned that the weather is uh pretty pretty cold up there. So how oh, is yeah. <laughs> the current weather that you're experiencing? How how does that affect your harvest? Well, you could like uh, harvest. I mean, April April May June July August awesome months to harvest. But once you get deep into October, late October November. Right around Thanksgiving, when it starts freezing up, the machines go inside the shed every night, and you'll, they'll usually cut in the afternoons because you can't cut when the frost because you're taking the soil and the, 
the root base. You can't cuss when there's frost out there. So you just wait till the afternoon and cut and you, uh, all the sod is pre-ordered. So each landscaper, homeowner, uh, whoever, golf course, whoever buys it, uh, gives you about a two to three day notice. Then you'll know to cut so much sod each day. So you kind of, and a lot of times late into the fall, you can cut and, and just because the sod is going dormant, you can cut the sod and put it inside of a shed or put it and leave it for a day or two. And then that's, uh, that's prime time. You can leave it sit for a day or two, and then you can take and usually haul it out. But, but 99% of the, the sod from April all the way till about late October is that's fresh cut. It's right from the field, literally within hours, it's sitting on, on a pallet and it's delivered to the customer. So how do you go about when a customer buys sod for their yard or golf course or whatever, how do you ensure that that sod will grow with those new roots, new roots, excuse me, um, at the new location? Uh, with plenty of fertilizer and we have, hmm. we pick the better varieties because there's so many different sod, like sod seed varieties. So you pick different, like different fields at different seed varieties. So you kind of know which ones will go, but usually with enough fertilizer and as long as you harvest the sod within a year and a half, it'll, it, you can take it and it, because the sod is a, is a rhizome. So it's always trying to grow a new root base. So as soon as you harvest it within 12 hours or how many hours you want to cu- cut it, take it to a customer, it'll, as long as you water it and keep it up, it'll, it'll establish new root base because it's always trying to grow new roots. Mm. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. So then yeah. when you look at the market for sod or turf, uh, how does that, like, how do you guys go about setting your price? Do you work with commercial or residential folks directly? Is there like a middleman that's helping you negotiate no, what you get? No, really no middleman. It's more of a, it's more of just, you put your, it's, it's, it, you're selling the products. So you're out there, like you're out there pounding the pavement, you usually go and talk to landscapers and homeowners. You have advertisements. I have a Facebook page. Bron Turf uh, uh, Farms on Facebook. You try to use that as promotion and a website, bronturf.com or bronturf.net, bronturf.com. My sister set up that page, but we use those and you try that and you do, you do uh, telephone, ad, you know, uh, telephone uh, uh, advertising and you just had to advertise and you try to get you, it's, it's pretty much all a, it's a namesake company. So you have to, there's 60 growers in the state of Minnesota and you got to be one of the top 60 in order to, you know, top, you know, to get each customer and, so all the landscapers and homeowners, they kind of know, hey, word of mouth travels. Hey, you know, they had good product. They have good service. You can, you know, then you start selling sod. Once they get to it, then you just keep, they keep, like, they have the one landscaper up in the Twin Cities metro area that's been doing for the last four years. And they take three to four loads of sod a day. And they, they just know the good customer service and good product. And they just know this customer works with the homeowners and just gets the sod laid. And we just sell it to them straight out wholesale. Very interesting. Very interesting. Matt, well, I want to ask one other question before we let you go, because you also do traditional corn and soybean farming as well. How's harvest going for you this year? It is going pretty good. You're about uh, half to three quarters done. Um, It's a a busy time with the sod and the corn and soybeans just because the guys get split up and they all work as one, but then they're one minute in the morning, they're harvesting sod, then they turn around and jump into a combine or jump into a truck and go haul it. Or they got to go, you know, it's always something going. 
So it's it's a busy time of year for them. But it's going pretty good. They haven't had too many breakdowns. Their weather's been awesome for the field work guys all the way up. I mean, the corn's been coming in about 18 to 19% moisture. So it's been less dry time, less better. So, you know, less less drier time with corn's getting in the bins better. So. Well, Matt, we are, you know, excited to see, you know, how harvest continues to go for, for folks across the country. But for our listeners, if they're wanting to see how harvest is going to end for you or want to keep up with, you know, what you're doing, where can they find you at on social media? Um, I have a Facebook page. Matt Braun is my, like, the profile. And I also my run my parents' Facebook page, uh, parents' turf farm page, which has both corn and soybeans on them, which is Braun Turf Farms. And then also uh, Twitter is Fast Grass Guy. And then if you really want some fun, my dad also does tractor pulling. And if you look under the Braun Turf Motorsports page, it has a John Deere tractor that blew up a few years ago up at Ellsworth. So that's kind of a fun, my dad's little hobby he does. So, <laughs> but it's, but those are the pages I run for the farm and for myself. And it's just promoting agriculture in general. So. Well, awesome. Matt, thank you again for coming on the podcast today. Yep, and no problem. Story. Yep, no problem. Anytime. If you got any questions about turf or, I mean, I know a lot about it. My, you can always call if you want to, you know, just it's a different ball game than corn and soybeans. So. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. Unlike drum brakes, disc brake calipers do not have a mechanical adjustment as the pads wear. The fluid level in the master cylinder and thus the hydraulic system is the adjustment. As the brake pads become worn, the caliper's piston moves further out of its bore, keeping the pad to rotor distance relatively constant. Since the piston is not fully retracted, the fluid level in the master cylinder drops. This basic hydraulic function keeps the braking performance linear as the pads and rotor wear. This way, brake pedal travel does not increase substantially during the pads' service life. By checking the fluid level in the master cylinder, it will be representative of the brake pads' wear. If the fluid level is low, the pads are worn. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit FarmMachineryDigest.com, where steel and soil meet. Well, again, a big thank you there to Matt for talking about sod production. Just really interesting to think that that's a, you know, a small facet of agriculture, but one that does employ our industry. Absolutely, Delaney. When I think about agriculture, I normally think about the big picture, but it's always important to look at the small, small folks as well. And we're always having great conversations with big and small farmers here on the Ag News Daily podcast, which you can listen to at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.